This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazdy Lambray, joined as always by my comrade, the dirty hippie scum out of South Florida, Nando Vila. That's me, one of those classic Florida hippies. <laughs> Everybody's just so sick of you Florida hippies, man, and yeah. your Cuban coffee and your beaches. We're tired of it. Tired of it. Tired of it. Salsa music. Yeah, no. On on today's show, the Yas Queen narrative over Kamala Harris might have jumped the shark this week on Twitter. We're just going to make a little bit of fun and make a little bit of light of just our least favorite type of liberals. Just, you know, anything. Just breathe the right way. And you're in for them. And so we'll just have a little bit of fun at their expense. Israel and the United Arab Emirates have come to a peace deal. And by I'm going to put quotation marks around peace because it's just a very thinly veiled, strong, strong arm move against Iran of just we're united against you. We're willing to go to war against you. And so we've made peace with each other. We're going to get into the implications of that. The Biden campaign is not running a campaign in Michigan. Obviously, they've learned all of the lessons from Hillary's failed neoliberal centrist campaign from four years ago. So they're running the same playbook. (laughs) (laughs) They're running the exact same playbook. So we'll get into the implications of that. But first, your president, Nando, Donald J. Trump, (laughs) went to a town hall because, you know, as a president, you got to touch the people. You know what I'm saying? Even if you are the most important man in the world... You got to touch the little peons, the, the proletariat at some point. <laughs> and so I think in a very stupid move by his team and his campaign, he does an in-person town hall with voters in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, people who are ostensibly, allegedly undecided voters, which as a quick aside, Nando, at this point, after four years of Donald Trump, if you can't at this point decide whether or not you think he deserves another four years? I don't know what to say at this point. Yeah. So whatever, even with that caveat, grain of salt, do what you want. He had a town hall, and as expected, it was a complete and utter train wreck by all accounts. I'm not going to pretend that I watched this in real time because I was watching the Miami Heat beat the Boston Celtics last Hell night yes. in a classic thriller The NBA playoffs have been fantastic, guys. I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm biased, but it has been legitimately an incredible run of games here in the bubble down in Orlando. But nonetheless, he lied about everything from saying China was doing great with the virus, saying that he loves (laughs) he loves the preconditions um, uh, thing in Obamacare, saying that, uh, you know, he calmed the nation down just like Churchill did during World War I. He compared himself to Churchill. I mean, he just lied and he lied and he droned on. And the lady that talked about her pre-existing condition and talked about that basically being the only thing between her and either financial ruin or death, right? The fact that she's able to be insured 
after Obamacare was like, look, um, you know, we're not going to discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions. Like, that's supposed to be the entire point of health insurance. Um, and, you know, he just got like, of course, if he's talking to normal people about real issues, he's going to get creamed on these issues. That just that goes without saying. Right. Um, the idea that this president has anything to offer people. And we try on this show to talk about what is he you know, what does he have to offer the people who love him and want him? Yes, he's deporting people. He's punching Mexicans in the nose and, you know, people from um, Central Americans trying to come in here and make a better life for themselves. Yes, he's making a big show of treating them very poorly. And the people who support him really like that. They enjoy the fact that these people don't get He's also pretty funny. He's also pretty funny, yes. Um, He's gotten really rich people, really rich people. I'm not talking about you who makes $600,000 a year. Yes, you are (laughs) Right. You are relatively rich. Um, You are not who gets to benefit from Donald Trump's policies. Trust me, buddy. It's not you. Um, But again, those people identify with the Bezoses of the world for whatever reason. I guess they're not good at math. Rich people don't know how to do math for some reason. But whatever. He hasn't made your life materially better. But the upper crust, the top 1% of the top 1% have been... They've been done better. It's been better. They, he's, you know, he's appointed a lot of conservative judges to federal courts. You know, like he's done well for Bible bangers and the corporate interests. So, you know, I guess that's what he has to offer. Extremely rich people get to be better, do better in life because their lives apparently aren't good enough. Uh, you know, undocumented people get treated abhorrently. Um, and and that makes a certain amount of people in this country very happy. And he's funny, Nando. That's yeah. what he has to offer you. And that's well, what he that, also. I mean, the other uh, huge part of his appeal is that he owns the libs. He owns makes the, the libs. libs. So he owns the libs, and these and you know his base hates the libs, and he can own them better than anyone else. Um, he can he can make the libs go crazy um, better than anyone else, which is um, which is a huge part of his appeal. You know what's so funny, and it just dawned on me, Nando, is that the appeal of a Biden and a Hillary Clinton to liberals is that they own the left. (laughs) Yeah, it's 100% true. Have you ever, like, like, I'm just putting that that two and two together. Centrists love those two because they own the left. They don't do anything for working people. They hate working people. And so, so long as they work their asses off to ensure the status quo of corporate interests and thumb their noses at working everyday Americans, liberals will continue to love them and defend them. Centrists will continue to love and defend them. It's quite the irony. Um, And so, yeah, that's what happened. Um, We tried to avoid, oh, Trump stinks topics on the show because it's just not interesting. It's not new. Yeah, you can just tune into CNN for that. Yeah, and we can't, like, what new thing can we tell you about our president after four years of this shit? So, Nando, take it away, man. Yeah, I mean, the funniest thing to me is watching him try to... Because he, he he doesn't understand the policies. Uh, well, he doesn't. He doesn't. He barely understands anything. He has kind of like intuitive grasp of the crowd and things like that. But but he doesn't like understand anything that's even remotely kind of real or complex. So usually Republican politicians are much better at handling the questions from voters about uh, things like pre-existing condi- conditions. You know, the Republicans have been furiously trying to um, destroy Obamacare, which obviously was a Republican health care plan. Um, uh, you know, Mitt Romney stood in Massachusetts. It was, de- uh, was, it was developed by the Heritage Foundation in the 90s. Um, but it's, it's too much for the Republican party. So they're obsessed with dismantling it. And, but the problem is that the, the central reform of Obamacare, which was the protection for people with preexisting conditions is like absurdly popular. It pulls at like, you know, 90%. Um, and they can't just go ahead and take that away. <laughs> they can't just go ahead and take that away from people, which is why they can never get rid of Obamacare. And that's why they're trying to do it now through the courts rather than, you know, through the legislative body. Because when they tried to do that at the beginning of Trump's term, there was like, you know, a huge, 
huge backlash to it from from voters. I mean, I don't know if you remember that. Um, of course. So, and yeah, the blue so, wave, such as it was a blue wave in 2018 midterm, was largely on the back of health care policy. Yeah. It was the Republicans are bad. They're going to take your Medicare, your Medicaid expansion, your pre-existing. They're going to kick your kids off of your plan. Like that cost them the midterm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it will, and that teaches me two things. One is that, you know, obviously, like Trump doesn't know what to do. He just he the only thing he can say is like, no, we're going to do new, new health care, new health care. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know, protect the pre-existing conditions, but new health care. And it's like not really saying. By the way, the Nando, that's the is. Republican answer to that question. Yeah. It's like, no, we're going to take away everything but that thing that 90 percent right. of the country likes. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't make any sense because you can't you can't have one without the other. But anyway, um, but the other thing that that teaches me is that um, voters will respond to concrete policies that helps them and materially improves their lives. Obamacare, um, as flawed as it is, and it's a half of a half measure um, for the healthcare crisis that exists in this country, it still did improve. Uh, certain people's lives. And even that kind of modest reform, which, again, I want to insist, is an incredibly modest reform, um, gets people like, you know, to 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 mobilize to protect it. You know, um, you can only imagine what would happen if uh, of the leader of a, of a Democratic Party actually advocated for something that was truly transformative in people's lives and then passed it. And then what would happen? They would win forever. They would win forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show, I mean, the, the emptiness of Trump, like, it, you know, it's been a while since he's kind of had to face voters. Um, and it was just, it was kind of refreshing to see it in a way, just regular people talking to him instead of like, you know, brain dead TV news people who just Fox and friends. They, yeah. Not just that, but like, but they, you know, to the, even, even like kind of to the extent that like a mainstream news anchor, like George Stephanopoulos confronts Trump, he always confronts them confronts him in like a, a two kind of he's trying to show how smart he is rather than um th- rather than just ask plain questions which is what the voters did and it just showed how how empty trump really is like he can't respond to them you know he can't he can't he can't he doesn't have the anything to give them so he just has to kind of dilly dally and dance around it um but you know it's it was actually pretty refreshing in that sense and yeah, you guys can go check that out. I honestly wouldn't advise that you do. You can find the cliff notes all over the internet. Um, it's just embarrassing that this is the president of the United States. I don't think you're going to be able to glean any actual information or insights from watching that town hall. It's quite frankly, it's, it's a fucking embarrassment. There's just no other way to put it. Which brings yeah. us to the only other candidate in this race, the only <laughs> other candidate who ostensibly is supposed to stand for us, the left. Joe Biden, his campaign has decided that they're going to again. Hold on, and let me just backtrack. Um, after I'm not gonna lie, I was a little off of um, Hillary Clinton sort of bashing and pile on after the loss, in the sense that to me, the choices seem so obvious and so clear. Like, the idea that it's Hillary's fault that people didn't vote for her, I'm like, at a certain point, the choices were very clear. But one, So I was not somebody who participated in the pylon. But one of the things that everybody latched onto was her straight up Obama kicked ass in the Midwest, in Michigan, in Wisconsin. He won both times. Um, And she took it for granted that she would do just as well. Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania, not so much. That's a lie. The Dems knew that that was an extremely purple state, which was kind of leaning red as the years progressed. And they knew they had to fight in Pennsylvania. But but specifically Michigan and Wisconsin, she got killed for not doing enough campaigning, not enough field offices, boots on the groundwork, getting out the vote out in Wisconsin and Michigan, that was the central, more than anything else, that was the biggest criticism of Hillary Clinton's campaign was that they started playing prevent defense, um, to use a sports analogy. They assumed that they that the polls had them 
all the way ahead. They wanted to, quote unquote, run up the score and try to win in place in, in, in traditionally red states like Texas, like Arizona, like New Mexico, Nevada, all of those places. Not that Nevada's traditionally red, but you know what I mean. In the Southwest, they tried to sort of get upsets in the Southwest to, quote unquote, run up the score because they just knew they had places like Michigan and Wisconsin locked up. And so they did a bare minimum job over there. And again, Nando, I'm stressing this to, to the listeners because, again, this was the central criticism of that campaign coming out of November yeah. 2016. We're just supposed to assume that the Dems are the smart ones. They're the ones who are the intellectual ones. They should be ostensibly be analytical and be learning from their mistakes. So what does Joe Biden do, of course, he runs the exact same playbook, Nando. <laughs> yeah. You can't make this shit up. Yeah, no, this comes from a piece in time in that <laughs> the time reporter went to Michigan and literally was like, okay, like, where is your field office in Michigan? And they're like, what exactly do you mean by field office? <laughs> you know, and they're like, you know, basically he was like searching, like, why aren't there any Joe Biden lawn signs? Why aren't, why isn't there like, there just seems to be no campaign, no, no no infrastructure, no organization here, you know? And they're like, what exactly do you mean by campaign or infrastructure? And the, the reporter literally like was given the runaround and could not find um, uh, like a single field office in Michigan. He goes, uh, the Biden quote, the Biden campaign in Michigan refused to confirm the location of any physical field offices despite repeated requests. They say they have, quote, supply centers for handing out signs, but would not confirm those locations. The campaign also declined to say how many of their Michigan staff were physically located here. And he's like, do you have the reporter finally asked someone in the on the campaign staff, like, do you have anyone on the ground here? And the reply was, what do you mean by on the ground? <laughs> so, um, yeah, like you said, the, the, the Hillary campaign made this like calculation that if they didn't campaign in the Midwest, that they couldn't give voters a reason to, to hate her even more than they already did. You know, so she skipped the, the United Auto Workers um, annual meeting, um, which is like just typically that a Democratic a kind of stronghold in Michigan. Um, she did not even campaign once in Wisconsin, which is another kind of swing state that that they needed to win. Um, this was all kind of uh, the fancy data uh, said this, but, you know, common sense kind of said not to do that. But the Biden campaign is, is, is trying that. I mean, they're doing everything possible to lose what should be a gimme election. I mean, to the extent that any, you know, any incumbent is weak. Trump is weaker than any incumbent has ever been in like certainly since Jimmy Carter, you know, like yep. um, just unbelievably weak, um, very, very unpopular, uh, huge uh, disgust um, toward his policies and toward his kind of leadership in the administration. And Joe Biden is doing everything possible to lose this i mean it's they're it's just really remarkable they're they're you know what it is they're playing prevent defense in the first quarter yeah it, it just it, it makes it makes absolutely no sense perhaps if this was late october you're basically in the nitty-gritty of things people are just now starting to pay attention to this stuff the people who ordinarily who aren't like us who are living and breathing this shit every single day people are just now starting to be like all right, what's going on? What's Trump proposing? What does Joe Biden want to do? Blah, 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 blah. Of course, thanks to the gaffe, I mean, excuse me, thanks to the virus, Joe Biden hasn't had to be on the campaign. And because you know for a fact, yeah. the, the most undisciplined politician since Donald Trump, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, would be on the campaign. He would be doing all of these Sunday shows, et cetera, et cetera. There would just be gaffe after gaffe after gaffe and misspeak, misspoke. Oh, I didn't mean to. Oh, I meant this. Oh, this and this and that. They, it would have been a disaster had it not been for the virus. And honestly, Trump would have been out just doing what he, Trump does. He's not going to. He's not going to do the Sunday shows and actually give a fuck about sending a message. He's going to go be amongst his people and receive the vi positive vibrations, get all the freaking press for it. By the way, they're going to put him on TV all day, every day while he's doing it. He could have just ran his playbook. Joe Biden got a gift. He doesn't have to talk. 
Yeah. He doesn't have to tell the American people what he wants to do for them while he's president. He just yeah. has to put out decent enough commercial ads. And when he does speak, just be like, look at the state of our country. Leadership is in shambles. Vote for me. This guy. This guy's fucking it up. This guy's ruining yeah. it. Instead, they're just... Bruh, they, literally, they're just trying to lose at this point. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he came out last week and said that, you know, he was not in favor of cutting military spending. He was actually in favor of increasing military spending, you know, that he doesn't in favor uh, bringing troops home from the Middle East. Again, these are all these things are wildly popular, yep. you know, like. Everyone in America wants to cut military spending. Everyone in America wants to end our wars in the Middle East. You know, like th th these are things that are just like insanely popular. And he's just doing this stupid Democrat thing in which they they talk about the things that they want to do that are unpopular instead of just ignoring those things and, 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 <laughs> and talking about, about the things, things that, are, that, are popular. that are popular. Yeah. <laughs> Republicans do it all the time. Like. You know, like every single Republican tough in, on in crime. That's that's the, they know people like want to feel safe. That's right, why they, exactly. they trot it out all the time. It's like, no, nah, exactly. we're tough on they crime. Don't say, they don't say like, you know, every single Republican, once they get an office, like wants to, like, you know, eliminate workplace regulations for safety and things of like course. that um, or like environmental regulations. They all want to repeal like everything. They never talk about those things on the campaign trail. They never say, you know what I'm going to do when I get in office? I'm going to repeal all the workplace uh, regulations that keep right. you safe. And I'm yeah, gonna... we're going to get rid of the restrictions on water safety. No, we're going to exactly. get rid of that. We don't care if you're drinking water safe. Fuck that. Nobody yeah. does that. Nobody does that. And it's the Democrats. But Joe Biden don't. comes out and says, I, you know what I want to do? I want to increase military spending. Yeah. It's like, what? At the expense of literally everything else. Like, huh? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? It's, anyway, it's, last thing I want to do um, in reference to the campaign, and I wanted to get you on this because this 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 dude sort of made the rounds on on in in lefty Twitter or liberal Twitter or whatever you call my timeline, um, <laughs> because he got on MSNBC and what's this homie's name again? Um, Carlos Corbello. Carlos Corbello. He's a former former congressman. Got his ass waxed by a dem once upon a time. So, of course, he's the perfect candidate to talk about the campaign on your liberal MSNBC. And he gets up there and says that the Cubans of South Florida, Nando, your Cubans of South Florida, Nando. Yeah, my people. Will never support Joe. They can't support Joe Biden because he got behind that dirty commie scumbag Bernard Sanders. Yeah. And basically, essentially, the message is Bernie Sanders is causing is costing Joe Biden Florida. Um, let's never mind that the Latin population in Florida is not just Miami Cubans. Um, mm. There's a lot of Puerto Ricans, say, in South, both South Florida, Central Florida, North Florida, who actually tend to be very um, left-leaning people. They're, you know, they just aren't like the cute. Like, I, I, you know, it's hard for certain people to understand, but not all Hispanic, Latinx, whatever we're calling them these days, are the same. They're far from a monolith. In fact, many of them don't identify as being some type of compadres and compatriots, like Cuban people do not feel like they're in some type of struggle or anything with Mexican people, for instance. And we call both of those people Latinx people, but it's hard for a certain type of person to understand those differences. So, you know, this guy gets up on MSNBC and he claims that Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders is costing Joe Biden the Latin vote. And I just wanted you to expound upon one, I want you to talk about the Cubans in Miami and sort of just talk about the Latinx diaspora just in general in Florida. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cubans in Miami are just a very traditional Republican voting bloc uh, for a long time, for, for several, several decades. What's your like best um, explanation for that? The best explanation for that is that they um, they were – very much so the, the the cubans who left cuba after the revolution were basically the, the losers refugees. Of the, the losers of the revolution which basically the you know they were mostly not ex not limited to but mostly you know the bourgeoisie of of cuba the sort of elite of cuba right you know there wasn't a lot of black Cubans that went to Miami. The so that's, I'm glad you said that um, immediately. Because I need 
people to understand this. Yeah. There's a reason why the only time, first of all, when you go to Cuba, there's a shit ton of black people. That's the one. Yeah. There's just, and, and if you only, all you knew about Cuba, if you were American and you went to Miami, you would not understand that. There aren't any. The, okay. Very few. Very, and very anytime few. you see a black Cuban here in America, he's a baseball player. Who yeah. defected? It's Jose Contreras. Yeah. It's Araldis Chapman. Levon Her- Hernandez. It's Yasiel yeah. Puig. Yeah. Anytime you see a black Cuban, it's an athlete. It's not somebody who had the resources and the means to get the fuck up out of Dodge after Castro and the communists took over. So just yeah. remember that when you think about Cubans just in general. And then the United States government, the sort of the power centers of the United States government, basically throughout the Cold War um, was uh, inc- like incredibly anti-communist in general. Like, I mean, that was just their the main policy of the United States for decades was yeah. like fanatical anti-communism. And the Cuban uh, uh, like exile community in Miami were incredible allies. So they, it was like a, a, vicious, a virtuous circle of like, you know, the, the more reactionary the Cubans in Miami got, the better they were as kind of political partners in the anti-communist kind of policy of the United States. And this was true um, for Cuba, but it was also true for, uh, you know, Brazil, Indonesia, a million, million other places. The problem is that Cuba is just much closer. Um, and the Cuban, the Cuban revolution was like, it made like the United States policymakers go crazy because it was like Cuba was ours, you know, like it was ours. <laughs> it's like they, they, that was like, you know, it's 90 miles away from the United States. Like that's our sphere of influence. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we don't like it when communists take over in Indonesia or in Vietnam or in Korea. You know, we'll invade those countries and kill millions of people um, to stop to stop that. But the one in Cuba was like a person, almost like a personal kind of right. affront because it was so close. Right. Um, it reminds me of the Iran situation, which we've talked about in here. And when you and we're going to get into Iran and the, the, the situation in the Middle East after this. But, it, you know, the, the sense that the in the military establishment, there's this feeling like we never got those fuckers back for ousting our guy and for and for and for and for participating in the. Um, in the the Beirut barracks bombing, which killed like 300 Marines or something right. like that. Like, they do not forgive right, that. It's, right, right. We the, never got these Hezbollah, bastards back. <laughs> Hezbollah and Iran kidnapped the CIA station chief in Beirut. Like, <laughs> you know, you do not do that. Like, you don't that do is that. Like a, right. You don't do that. You know, like, and like, they, will, they have not forgotten that. You and, know? And, and so um, that's why you need to understand when a lot of these hawks want to take a very aggressive posture when it comes to Iran, it's still stemming from the Iranian revolution. It's like literally 40 years of butthurtness in the military establishment. And so Cuba is the same thing. It's like the United States government took a very aggressive posture against the Castro regime, even after the Cold War is over, like the USSR is done. Like that shit, they lost. It's over. Even after that was over, they maintained an aggressive posture against, you know, the the communist regime in Cuba because, again, like you you kicked out our people. We were the ones running things over there. And (laughs) we're still pissed about it. And the Cubans in Miami who are extreme... I mean, anti-Castro doesn't even begin to... Describe yeah. how they feel. Oh, they compare him to Hitler. Exactly. Like, you know, it's, it's very frequent. You'll see, like, be like, you know, Castro is our Hitler. He's Hitler to us. You know, like, or he's worse than Hitler. You'll hear some of them say. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, you know, again, it just it's they were the losers in a internal conflict. You know, between basically social classes in Cuba, um, right. and and they don't like that. They 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 you know they're they're mad about that and so when does the republican party fit into this dynamic well the republican party was just always seen as more reliably anti-communist right right? and they and and they also kind of uh, you know established better patronage networks there um they kind of saw the value of of the cuban exile community Mm. um and and you know it's like one of those things like you know there were cuban americans that 
got powerful positions within the Republican Party. And so that they, they saw it as a kind of, you know, it was it, that's part of the, you know, like the head of the Republican Party in Florida is like almost always a Cuban guy. Uh, you know, like there were, you know, um, Cuban-Americans like in powerful positions as a result of, of Republican Party politics and patronage. Um, so. So, yeah, I mean, they, 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 got they understood to, that. They essentially got to be in, ingratiated into the white. Yeah, I mean, and there was also like structure. What you, what you hear a lot about, what you hear a lot in Miami, and they people mentioned this there as well, is that like they saw the Democrats and especially Kennedy as betraying them in the Bay of Pigs. Mm. You know, the narrative that they that they buy on the Bay of Pigs is that Kennedy promised um, air support for the basically, you know, psycho Cuban invaders, like volunteer force, um, <laughs> CIA trained and backed, um, and that once. Once, like, they got on the beaches in the Bay of Pigs and, um, you know, the situation started to go sideways, that Kennedy kind of refused to provide the air support that he had promised, which would have allowed for that in invasion to actually work. Um, I mean, the fact that the Bay of Pigs even happened in the first place is just insane. But it's a CIA, um, another they, CIA failure, catastrophic yeah. CIA failure, yeah. of, of which there are probably thousands yeah. <laughs> like well, so so they they see the democrats and kennedy um as like betrayers whereas the republicans just seemed to them always more reliably anti-communist you know right. like for whatever Got reason it. they thought that the democrats were kind of soft on communism even though like the democrats were you know just as waged the cold, right yeah waged the cold war with as much zeal right. and violence uh, um as the republicans but um but yeah i mean that's that's kind of the history of it i mean a lot of it comes down to to that um so and all yeah. these years later, <laughs> yeah, they, get, they blame Bernie Sanders on on MSNBC. This fucking right. Carlos Corbello uh, joker, um, who like, of course, like MSNBC has on a, a former Republican to discuss the Democratic Party strategy in Florida. In Florida. Like it's just absurd, and it's true that the, Biden's polling lead in Florida has evaporated basically overnight, driven by a collapse uh, of support in the Latino vote in Florida, um, which is why today he came out uh, in a speech or some shit and played Despacito on his phone for the crowd. Um, <laughs> uh, did you see that video? I did not. I did amazing. not. And I'm glad um, that I didn't. It's, yeah. He was like, you know, you can just see like his advisor like, play Despacito for them. That'll get them. That'll get um, them the vote. <laughs> you know, and, and but the, like you, you mentioned Obama uh, and how he won the Midwest uh, twice. He won Florida twice and he won a, and he won Miami-Dade County twice. Mm -hmm. On a policy of normalizing relations with Cuba, mm. you know, so the sort of the the um, the 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 sort of conventional wisdom around all that stuff, I think, is 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 faulty at best. I mean, it is true that. But there's something you know, to there's something to. And again, like we mentioned and, <laughs> you know, there's Venezuelans, there's all kind like the term Latinx is so ridiculous because it describes such yeah. a wide and diverse swath of people yeah. from Colombia to Mexico to El Salvador. Like it's it's yeah. it doesn't make any sense. But um, there's something to the idea that like Bernie Sanders identifying as a socialist is a non-starter for a huge amount of the Cubans in Miami. That oh, yeah. is just a non-starter. That is not oh, going yeah. to work with a huge amount of them. Of course, there are people who are of Cuban descent who can understand what democratic socialism means in the context of the United States of freaking America. But there's definitely... Yeah you know, a certain strain of hardcore anti-Castro Cuban who was just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you yeah. think being socialist is a good thing? You mentioned the Venezuelans. I mean, there, you know, there is a, there is a very new, uh, new-ish really uh, Venezuelan diaspora in Miami. Um, mostly it's people who left after Chavez took, uh, took over. I mean, after Chavez was elected. Right. Um, and, you know, those are the people that, used to run the country and right. they don't like it now that they don't run the country anymore. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there's a similar situation going on with that. Um, um, uh, but, but again, they're, they're a relatively small number compared to the grand scheme of things. But the, the other big voting uh, Latino voting block in Florida that no one ever talks about is the Puerto Ricans. The yep. Puerto Ricans are the newest kind of, uh, voting block. And they're going to uh, surpass if, the Cubans in numbers if they haven't surpassed them already. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they're mostly outside of Miami. They're not kind of wrapped up in the anti-communist kind of fanaticism. Um, but Democrats like never speak to those, never speak to those voters. I mean, producer Rob sent us, you know, uh, a, uh, Julio Ricardo Valera, uh, tweet, uh, talking about like, you know, it, at the end of the day, it was the Dems and Obama who instituted the Promesa Act, which one of the most heinous, um, like neo-colonial things you can ever imagine, basically handing the country of Puerto Rico over to like 12 Wall Street bankers, you know, to like let them do whatever they want with it um, and use it as an ATM machine. Um, and Democrats like don't do anything for those people, even though they, they could swing Florida. Like if they did like a meaningful approach uh, policy-wise oh of course. to help Puerto Rico in some meaningful way and made it like an, an actual campaign issue, they could flip Florida, you know, but they would never do that because they're Democrats and they want to win just by like, uh, shaming you into voting for them because the other guys are so bad. All right. And so we move on to a report in the Washington Post. Well, it's not a report, but the Washington Post covered it. Um, <laughs> the, the United Arab Emirates and Israel have signed a peace treaty um, basically normalizing relations between the two countries, which if you know anything about the Middle East is sort of a big deal in the sense that like pretty much all of those countries hated Israel um, <laughs> from the very inception. And, you know, they basically signed a peace treaty and they're like, all right, we're normalizing relations, the United Arab Emirates and Israel. Of course, we've mentioned on this show the very strange bedfellows of Israel and Saudi Arabia. Again, two traditional enemies who have conveniently become buddy-buddy out of, not out of nowhere, because we know what's what's driving it. Um, so that's, that's all in the same sort of, you know, one fell swoop. And of course, it's because every, all of those countries we just mentioned, as well as the United States government under President Donald Trump, are extremely anti-Iranian. Um, mm-hmm. They just, they just, that's just what it is. There's a whole faction in the Middle East. Um, it's basically Iran, you know, Lebanon is under their yoke. Uh, you know, a couple of other, other countries. The Qataris don't like the United Arab Emirates either. And so basically, Yemen is a proxy war between all of these countries. That's where the, like, all of these countries are at war with each other in Yemen, right? Um, and this peace deal, and I, I use quotation marks for peace deal because it's not a peace deal. It's mm. essentially, um, again, as I said at the top of the show, we will definitely unite in a war against Iran. That's all that oh, yeah. deal is. <laughs> That's yeah. all it is. It's a signal to Iran like we are united against you. Saudi is also united against you. The United States under President Donald Trump and Jared Kushner, who's running things um, on that on the foreign policy side, are definitely allied against you. And that's what that is. And in the midst of that, of course, the United States government is using this as an opportunity to sell military planes to the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> in the midst of a peace deal. It's a peace deal, yeah, though. Yeah, it's a peace deal. So the F-35, which is the plane that doesn't even work, that if the, if the pilot ejects and doesn't duck his head in, a, in the same split second, he gets decapitated. It's the plane that the pilot can't turn his head around and look backwards. So they have to ha- they, they have to have a camera uh, in the back of the plane, kind of like in the car, like in these modern cars, like when you're backing up, it has right. a camera. Yep. The plane has that. But when they fly through a cloud that has a lot of condensation, the, the camera gets like. Uh, foggy and they can't see behind them. It's like the worst piece of shit plane ever. And it costs like a bajillion dollars. But anyway, um, the, the real important thing is, uh, about this is that it basically signals the, I mean, if it wasn't true already, which it, it definitely was, it basically signals the end of the potential peace deal that everyone had assumed, um, would happen eventually between Israel and the Palestinians. Um, this, Put is the end of the two-state solution, right? The two-state solution, which was broadly speaking, like everyone kind of basically agreed that a peace deal with it between uh, Israel and the Palestinians would involve a retreat from the 1967, the borders gained after 1967 in Israel in exchange for like a Palestinian state um, and, and then a peace agreement. But um, 
the 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 leverage that the average the Arab states had it was basically like we won't we, like that that was like that was a precondition that they had was the retreat of Israel uh, from the borders that it expanded in the 1967 war, um, and um, basically now as the United as the United Arab Emirates, uh, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, which were not kind of the main Arab states that 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 were that were involved in in the sort of traditional hostilities um, in the Middle East. Um, you know, they're just giving away the game because Israel has just expanded. It. You know, they've, they've kind of accepted that Israel is going to de facto control uh, the Gaza Strip as a sort of open air prison and um, and that they basically uh, the settlements in the West Bank will continue um, in theory. Um, this deal stops the potential annexation of the West Bank, although it's unclear whether the two sides even uh, are agreed as to the terms on that. Like the the UAE and and Bahrain they don't are saying, care. they're giving away the game, man. They don't yeah. care. They don't care. Yeah. They, they care yeah. about one because, fucking okay. thing. And the reason these these regimes uh, sort of supported the Palestinian cause in the past was because it was a way to legitimize their own regimes to their own people. people. Yep. Right? These are these are <laughs> highly unequal societies with a like ruling elite that is um, horribly corrupt and just basically taking all of the wealth of the country and living extravagant lives. I mean, you've seen these people, um, but the way that they maintained some sort of legitimacy um, with their population was by supporting the Palestinian cause, and they're they're basically giving that up um so again you know it's just uh it's it's not a peace deal at all it's just a, a a reflection of the reality on the ground which is like you said um israel has been moving toward the gulf states toward 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 an, a, like a, a economic and military um understanding with the gulf states that they would both oppose iran like you said i mean iran is the big bad to them in the middle east um Iran is very powerful. Iran is very well defended. Uh, Iran is a is a country that, despite all the, all the you know, all the bad things we hear in the United States about their ruling regime, um, has some sort of pop popular legitimacy in a way that like the Saudi Arabian uh, regime does not, um, because they're because they're ethnically it's a and religiously, <laughs> it, yeah. Um, and 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 there are no and and it isn't an ethnic minority sort of ruling over uh, an ethnic majority. Um, it's they are the same people. There are one Iranian people. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I've gotten a lot of questions about this today from like my friends and stuff. You know that they're you know, like, what's the deal? Like, did Trump just like sign peace in the Middle East? And it's like, no, no, no it's, no, it's actually probably it's, the opposite. And yeah. I, and and an aid to somebody in Congress who works in foreign intelligence, I mean, foreign affairs, uh, who spoke on the condition of an anonymity, uh, talked about and we're going to we're going to end on this because I thought this quote was fucking hilarious. Um, we're going to end on this and just talking about what it means to be selling arms to the United Arab Emirates. And the quote goes, for some, it might be okay. And he's talking about the different people in Congress um, whose job it is to know about these things. For some, it might be okay, said the aide who spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of the issue. The quote continues, but this is a game changer. Given the Emiratis these kinds of capabilities for really an unknown purpose, in which conflict do they need an F-35? <laughs> and that's the end of the quote. <laughs> we know what the purpose is, guys. We know. And, and you know, it, and the crazy thing is, man, I think, I think back before, I, I want to say before 2006 and seven. By the time the wars, both in Afghanistan and in Iraq, were made plain and bare to everybody in America that they were complete and utter failures, waste of times. In Iraq, we got sent there for, for literally no, no reason whatsoever. Like Afghanistan, you could you can sort of justify it and say, well, we were trying to get bin Laden and he's the devil and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And he was in the mountains. And, but yeah, like Iraq, Iraq like was just a straight yeah. up failure. War right. of aggression, uh, pointless war of aggression. Straight yeah. up, right? Just American, just ignorance, stupidity, aggression, all of that, right? And now, you, you know, the American people are just like, we can't do it again. Like, everybody agrees we yeah. can't do it. And if it, I swear to God, if it wasn't for 
the disastrous way they carried out those two wars as far as the Bush regime, I think we would already be at war with Iran. There's oh, yeah. so the will for it is so strong and the momentum yeah. is building. And again, Saudi and Israel are I don't know that we have two closer foreign allies at this point, no. man. Like, no, no, no. They are the United States government, especially the establishment in the Pentagon, their favorite fucking people. They just yeah, yeah. love Israel, love Saudi. Yeah. And and those two, if they could, they'd be like, let's go to war tomorrow and end yeah. Iran. Yeah. And I think if it wasn't I, I, for I, that failed war, it. man. Yeah, and we talked about it on the show in the past, dude, months ago, uh, but... Iran would kick our ass in a war, like straight up. Like Iran would win a war against the United States. I mean, like tons of people would die. Yeah. Um, hundreds of thousands of people would probably die, mostly in Iran, but they would win that war. Yeah. The United States cannot win a war against Iran. Iran is too powerful, too well defended geographically. It's like impossible, for, you know, like to, you know, they, they're just like a very well protected nation. Um, they're like, they, they did this, they did. I mean, we, we've talked about it a little bit on the show in the past, but like the millennium challenge in 2002, uh, basically simulated a war between the United States and Iran and the Iranians in that game sank the entire U S fleet in the Persian Gulf in, th- in 24 hours, <laughs> you know, um, 20,000 Americans died in the first day yeah. of the war. Like Iran is a very powerful, very sophisticated military, very smart. Um, they would kick our ass. Like we, are still stuck in Iraq getting our ass kicked. Uh, Iraq has, is no comparison to, no. to Iran. Iran kicked Iraq's ass in a war in the 1980s, um, in a war that was very, very bloody. Um, but Iran ended up winning for the reasons that I've said. And the United States would absolutely lose that war. And again, we do a lot of shit talking on Barry on this show. But again, I think the reason why he pursued... You know, normal trying to get on the path of normalizing relationships and peaceful and basically thumbing his nose at the Israelis in the process was just like, we're never going to beat these guys, you know, outside of a total nuclear Holocaust war, which everybody agrees is a terrible idea. We're never going to stop them from existing in the way that they do. So let's just move on. We're done. It's over. We're, we're done with the fantasies, Israel. It's a wrap. And so that's why they pursued that. I'm just like, why do we need to be bothered with this? It's not in our interest as a nation to be bothered with this. But of course, you know, Trump puts his his freaking, you know, his prince son-in-law in in charge of Middle Eastern relations and... You know, <laughs> the Saudi prince charmed his pants off. I don't know why or how this was able to happen, but he charmed the shit out of this dude. And so that's where we are. We're back to hating Iran again. Um, anyway, we wanted to keep you guys abreast of that. And last but not least, this tweet has been making the rounds on my Twitter. A woman named Sarah J. Galvez, she puts a gif of Kamala Harris getting off of a jet She's, you know, she dressed casually as any soccer mom would, you know what I'm saying? Like she's wearing jeans and she happens to be wearing Timberland boots, which is the most popular boot brand in the urban community, the black community. Like this is like the Timberland is, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it's It's like iconic. It's iconic. It's like the Sperry in Massachusetts. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it is it's just, like the Havaiana in Rio de Janeiro. Exactly. It's just, it's just, you know, culturally the most significant probably footwear that isn't Nike. Okay. Um, and so this woman just go, the, the tweet goes, Kamala V. Harris in Tim's, I repeat, our next vice president in Tim's. Like, yeah, children, children, it's children. I mean, you know, the Democratic Party treats its voters like children and often the voters respond like this is embarrassing. She's wearing Tim's. And again, Nando wanted me to bring this up to you guys. She's wearing butt naked Tim's, y'all. Yeah, you have to explain that one to me. She's not not even the real one. She's not wearing the right Tim, my boy. That's this. That's so classic, Kamala. You know, she's not. Like not she's exactly not wearing right. the six-inch premium hiking boot. She's not. Ugh. She's wearing the freaking 
$80 butt naked Tim. Like if you wear those, if you wear those Tims to your high school and say Harlem, New York, those butt naked Tims that Kamala Harris is wearing, you will get roasted in the cafeteria. (laughs) They will kill you for this. And yeah. of course, Sarah J. Valvez or Galvez. I'm sorry, I messed up your name, Miss Sarah. My lord, you're praising her for wearing the wrong Tims. This is just this is liberal ridiculousness in a nutshell, bro. Like, and again, like this shit was making the rounds. People were like, oh yes, Queen, yes, Queen, you're the goat, Queen. Oh my God, you put Timberlands <laughs> on your feet. Oh, it's pathetic, bro. It's pathetic, and it's emblematic it's of what ails this fucking party base man yeah they love it they love to be treated like children like these like very (laughs) stupid superficial (laughs) things like they love it they love it and it's just it's so childish and stupid i mean it's you know i'm i'm I miss the days of Bernie Sanders just like being the least cool guy in the world, but for that reason, being like the coolest guy in the world, you know, like he doesn't give a shit about any of that shit. Like he just, you know, it's anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So that's our show for this week. Thank you, YouTube audience, for checking us out, man. We're going to be regularly here on YouTube trying to cultivate an audience and, and a viewing over there on YouTube because I'm a YouTube fanatic. And so I would love for us to gain some type of foothold on YouTube. Of course, become a patron at count, patreon.com backslash count the dings, man. That support is invaluable and it, it allows us to make all the great content that we put out for you guys. Make sure you're subscribed and listening to Nando Vila's um, let's pot it out an entourage recap podcast one of the mm. funniest podcasts you can listen to because entourage is one of the funniest shows both intentionally and unintentionally of all time <laughs> uh of course make sure you're listening to cinephobe the friday mailbag the dad pod uh pack your knives with tom Haberstrom, and my man kevin arnovitz you know, just check out all the offerings of Count the Dings, the Bomb Network. You see what we got, man. We added the Crazy Sexy Cool podcast. Uh, Naima's Wednesday sermon has been kicking ass. Rob Lopez is killing that. Of course, oh, yeah. the, the OG Bomb Show. Uh, just growing up the same with Black Trey. Just make sure you're checking out all the Count the Dings offerings, man. We're going to see you guys next week. I'm Big Waz. That's Nando Vila. We out. Out. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.